Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here today. Will you stand with me, please? A few weeks ago, I introduced uh, Prayer of the Week. The first one had to do with preferring other people. I know that's hard because we tend to be kind of selfish, but we prayed that we would prefer others. Last week, we prayed that any of our social posts would be lifting people up, edifying them, encouraging them. We talked about that. This week, uh, I want us to pray that we would worship God as fervently, privately, as we do publicly. It is great to get together. It's great to have these in-person experiences and worship with other people. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think most Christians would be in better shape today if they spent more time in the Word of God and listening to worship music than they did on YouTube, listening to all the bizarre, controversial, uh, prophetic uh, conspiracy theories. You know, a lot of people are really worked up because they're not soaking themselves in the things of God. So today's prayer is very simple, and I hope that you'll think of it every day. And here it is. I want you to say it with me. Dear Lord, may I long to privately worship you as long, long to return to publicly worshiping you. And some of you that are watching online, you're not back in person yet. You're not comfortable. We understand that. Uh, but until you are, will you really dedicate this hour, hour and a half on Sunday mornings to worshiping the Lord in your home? Uh, let's read it once again, shall we? Dear Lord, may I long to privately worship you as much as I long to return to publicly worshiping you. Amen? For you that have returned publicly, I just want you to turn around and uh, maybe wave at somebody, give them some eye contact. Uh, we're not able to shake hands or hug right now, but uh, there's no reason that you can't greet one another in the name of the Lord. Amen. I see a lot of air hugs going on. Uh, okay, you may be seated. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, if you don't have your Bible, uh, we'll have the text on the screen for you. I don't have to uh, tell you that we live in a very divided culture. The church of Jesus is very divided now over really crazy stuff like masks and the NFL and things like that. Luke chapter 6 is a really a tough scripture. I just want to warn you ahead of time. Uh, but Jesus tells us how to live among those that we really would rather not have to deal with. I've entitled this sermon, Loving Those You'd Rather Hate. <laughs> Loving Those You'd Rather Hate. See, our, our emotions are fired by the anger and rage of the day that we live in. And there are many that we don't agree with, and there are many that we're threatened by. But Jesus addresses it very, very clearly. It's a hard teaching. And I hate to break this to you, but the fact is, serving Jesus is really hard. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. You have to say no to your feelings and your anger and your rights. And you have to make Jesus Christ your Lord, and you need to follow him. 
So this is tough, but I believe the Holy Spirit's going to help us. Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 27, reading through verse 36. Listen to the word of the Lord today. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's a tough piece of scripture, isn't it? It doesn't come easy. But it's very clear. Our attitude toward people that we don't like, our attitude toward people that we don't care for, our attitude toward the people that we don't agree with, our attitude toward those that we would consider enemies should be to love them. That's what the Bible says. Not hate them, not ridicule them, not demean them and call them names, not put them down. And furthermore, Jesus says it's not just about our attitude. We have to love them, but we also need to translate that attitude to action. <laughs> We've got to show them we love them. Man, now Jesus is really meddling here. First of all, he's saying, you know, you need to adjust your mind and your heart to love these people. But that's not enough. You've got to show them you love them. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to look at the three ways that Jesus specifies right here in Luke 6 that we are to love our enemies. Today, we're going to look at the first one that's called to do good. Next week, we'll look at the other two, to bless and to pray. You know, we all have people in our lives that upset us. Maybe those who hurt us. I don't know why we fill our living rooms with voices of people that just get us all upset. You know, people that don't see through the biblical lens that we see through, through the eyes of the loving Savior that has loved us. And we tend to draw a line and we say, okay, we're on this side of the line and they're on that side of the line. And that's our first problem. Because God doesn't have lines 
drawn in the sand. For God so loved the world. All seven billion people are loved and cherished of God. Now I know sometimes in my life our approach to dealing with people who I might not get along with is simply to ignore them or to avoid them. Maybe you're different. Maybe you take a more active stance, you know, and you gossip about them. You spread lies about them. Or better yet, put up memes on Facebook degrading them. Maybe even pray God will punish them. (laughs) Where have we learned that? Not from Jesus. (laughs) Well, where have we learned that kind of behavior? Unfortunately, it's from the world. And the Bible says we have to be careful not to be conformed into the world. But that's how most of the world treats their enemies. They go to war with them. They plan and they plot their demise. They take them to court. Take them to court and sue them. That's the way to deal with your enemies. Call them names. Degrade them. Rejoice when they fail and mourn if they have any success. We write letters and we make phone calls and we send emails and we muster up support from those people that see things our way. We try to get people to side with us and join the team that's angry at the other side. That's the world and their way of behaving. And unfortunately, the church falls into that same fashion. But friends, I plead with you, that's not what Jesus teaches us. And I know it's hard, but Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless them. Do good to them. Pray for them. Now, I know it's hard because, man, for the most part, Christians today are just mad. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I deal with a lot of Christians, and a lot of them are just angry. Oh, they're angry about movies in Hollywood, and they're angry about CNN, and they're angry about Fox News, and they're angry about militant movements, and they're angry about gays and lesbians, and they're angry about condoms in school, and they're angry about crime and rebellion in the street, and they're angry about drugs, and they're, they're angry about education, and they're angry about the impact that the society is having on our kids, and they're angry about the abortion activists, and Some of them just deny the issues that we're dealing with as a culture. And a result of that, I want you to know, friends, the church, or the world, I should say, unfortunately views the church as more of some kind of angry political activist movement than the way that God desires the church to be seen, which is a spiritual organization, a spiritual kingdom that's devoted to giving hope to people, to give healing to people, to reach out to a hurting world. But too often when the world is hurting, our response is, well, it serves them right. We warned them that would happen if they didn't see things our way. May Jesus help us. Now I understand the Bible talks about not loving the world or the things of the world. We're commanded to come out of the world, to be separate. I understand that. We're called to be uh, uh, salt and light in in a sinful world. We're called to speak out boldly, prophetically, for repentance, 
against those things God calls sin and for those things that God calls wholesome. But friends, always remember that has to be done with compassion, with concern. Truth must be spoken in love. Like Jesus, we have to operate with grace and with truth. Think about this for a moment. Our culture must know us as truth-tellers. And we always say amen to that, but truth-tellers should also be crying and shedding tears at the same time that they're proclaiming truth. I believe our world needs to see us as truth-tellers with tears. Because, friends, (laughs) we're not the victims here. It's the world that's the victim. They're the ones enslaved to sin. They're the ones whose mind has been darkened by Satan. They're the ones whose eyes have been blinded. They're the victims. We've been set free. We know what it's to be saved, to be forgiven, to have hope, not to be afraid of the future, not to be afraid of death. When we interact with our enemies, it cannot, it must not be out of hate and spite, but out of love and out of compassion. That's what Jesus tells us to do, but he also showed it to us in his life here on earth. This passage in Luke 6 is an instructional manual for those of us who really want to follow Jesus. Not be religious, not you know, follow the, the laws and the regulations and all the trappings. But I'm talking about people who just want to follow Jesus. Here's an instruction manual. And there's truth here that Jesus practiced, he lived by, and the Bible says we're to be imitators of Christ, so therefore he should be our example. And I think we can summarize really this entire sermon down to three words, and that is attitude is everything. It's not that we compromise truth, but it's the attitude that we're using when we proclaim it. Attitude, friends, is everything. And as we work our way through this sermon today and also next week, we're going to find that it'll turn our world upside down. But that's okay. Christ gives us some commands and some principles that are practically impossible to carry out consistently without the help of his Holy Spirit. But he's given us his Holy Spirit. If you've asked Christ into your heart, you have the Holy Spirit in you to say yes, to be loving, to be compassionate. Friends, I've wrestled with this Luke 6 passage for about the last three weeks. I've struggled with this text. But I've come to believe that this sermon and next week's sermon and really the teachings of Jesus and what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Christ isn't just setting up a list of do's and don'ts for us. See, a lot of people read this and they say, oh, more do's and don'ts. You know, Christ is just providing his version of the Old Testament law. But that's not true. That's not good theology. What Jesus is trying to show us is the law and keeping the law is all about our heart. 
That's why I say attitude is everything. Throughout history, people have imagined that they're keeping the law simply if they do what it says. It's like when you tell your child to clean their room and they stomp off and they throw stuff and they eventually clean their room. But their heart hasn't changed. We do the same thing. We keep the law, but our heart hasn't changed. That's why Jesus talks so much about the inner attitudes of our heart. It's not so much our actions. See, you can keep the letter of the law with your actions. <laughs> and you can break the spirit of the law with your heart. And there's a lot of people walking around feeling real good about themselves. Thinking that they, you know, are very acceptable unto God. Because they've kept all the law. But Jesus looks beyond our actions and he sees our heart. That's what this is about. That's why we can't just say we love our enemies. We have to translate it into action. Now think about what Jesus said. He said, you know, it's not if you murder someone, but if you hate them in your heart, you've committed murder. Jesus raised the bar. He says it's not about the actual act of adultery. If you think lustful thoughts toward another woman that is not your wife, then you have already committed adultery. Why did Jesus say that? Because he was looking at the heart issue. Attitude is everything. It's about the attitude. It's about the condition of our heart. And may Jesus change our heart to be more like his. Man, in the Beatitudes, and in Luke, it's found right before this passage, you see Jesus wanting to develop this attitude of trust. And I've said that often. We need to trust God in the midst of this crazy time we're living in. God's not asking us to figure it out. Man, there's a lot of people who want to try to figure it all out. Or they want to control it. He's asking us to trust him. So Christ moves in this teaching now from talking about our attitude to our attitude toward other people and our actions toward other people. And whether you're dealing with Christians or non-Christians, whether you're dealing with uh, Latinos or Afro-Americans or Muslims or atheists or... Hindus, our attitude should always be that of love, to love them. That's when we're more like Christ than ever. None of us have problems loving friends and family members, you know. It talks about that. I have no problem loving all of you. It's the people that I don't agree with that I have trouble loving. It's the people that tend to hate me and what I represent. To the people that might even be out to cause our community, our nation harm. Those are the people I struggle with. Yet those are the very people that Jesus is talking about here. These verses provide instructions on loving those that we'd rather hate. And Christ shows us what our attitude should be toward those we'd rather hate. First of all, we need to understand there should be no exceptions. We are to love everyone. No exceptions. None. Love everyone. Andrew, put that picture up. 
I think it's so powerful. Love your enemies. No exceptions. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And I know it's hard. <laughs> but we can't just ignore. We can't ignore what the Bible says. It's easy for us, you know, to point out to other people what the Bible says about them. <laughs> it's a little harder, isn't it, when we look internally and say, well, Jesus, what are you calling us to do? So love your enemies. Now, let's take a moment. Who are our enemies? Who are they and who are they not? First of all, <laughs> you know, you might be kind of feeling like you're getting your toes stepped on today. I want you to know I'm not your enemy. <laughs> Pastors and ministers and prophets that preach the word of God, they are not your enemy. If you feel convicted, please just realize that I'm the messenger. Did you know that the president and the governor are not your enemies? According to the word, rulers and those in authority over us are not our enemies. Now, we may not agree with everything a politician stands for. We might not agree with his lifestyle or every decision that the president makes or the governor makes. But they're not our enemies, not according to the word of God, nor are people whom God brings into our life to point out our own faults. People who disagree with us on some of the finer points of theology are not our enemies either. Our beautiful brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church are not our enemies. Those who baptize by sprinkling instead of immersion are not our enemies. Our enemies are those who purposefully and knowingly seek our ill will. Those who purposely and knowingly seek our ill will. Those are our enemies. They have bitterness. They have hatred. They're not seeking our good. It's our destruction they're seeking. And it's those very, very people that God is telling us to love. Ouch. Love the people who are trying to destroy me? That's what Jesus says. Loving our enemy, friends, goes contrary with everything we feel. It's not our normal default. It's almost counterintuitive, isn't it, to love your enemies? It's a challenging thing. But friends, that's what Jesus wants us to do. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can all do better. It's not necessarily how you feel, but understand when Jesus said, love your enemies, that's from a Greek word, agapio. It's a Greek word that means unconditional love. That means if you show love to them, no matter what, even if they remain your enemies, you continue to love them. And understand, though, what loving our enemies does not mean. It doesn't mean that you're going to support them in what they do. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. It doesn't mean you're going to be friends with them. Loving your enemies means that when they hate you, you will love them in return. 
It means that the cycle of hate, the cycle of revenge that we find our society in, the cycle of retaliation needs to stop with the followers of Jesus Christ. You can be angry at what a person does and still love them. Many of you parents have experienced that. We just haven't translated that into our society. You might be really, really angry at something a child did, but you still love them. Think about Jesus. He was so upset at the people of Jerusalem because they abused and murdered the prophets. And yet, he stood on the hill over the city, and the Bible says he cried. He shed tears over them. Jesus, as always, is our best example to live out the principles that we find in his word. Because Jesus has never asked us to do anything that he's not already done himself. So as you read through the Gospels, notice how Jesus loves his enemies. Think about Judas. Jesus was not ignorant of Judas, who he was, what he was going to do, but he loved him anyway. You never see Jesus slighting Judas. You never see Jesus having an unkind word for Judas. In fact, it seems at times that Judas almost gets better treatment and more special love from Jesus than his other disciples. Why would that be? Because as this next picture shows, love is how you stop hate. Maybe Jesus loved Judas a little bit more because of the hatred Judas had toward him. And this is the same example we see from God himself. We sang about it this morning. We sang the gospel. God loves the world. God loves his enemies. Now, he doesn't love the things they do. He doesn't love their rebellion. He doesn't love the terrible consequences of their action but I believe God loves them as individuals. I mean, that's a principle all through Scripture. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were in rebellion, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And just a couple of verses later in that same chapter, we're told that yet we were, we were enemies of God. God reached out and reconciled us to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So even here in Luke 6, Jesus tells us, love our enemies. We can be sure that God loves his enemies because he'll never ask us to do something he does not do himself. He doesn't just say love them. He says, show them you love them. Three specific things we read right here in Luke 6. We're to do good, we're to bless, and we're to pray. Now listen for a minute. The intriguing thing about these three exhortations is that they work both ways, which is scriptural. The more you give, the more you receive. So they help us develop an attitude of love for our enemies. And as we do them, they also reveal an attitude of love for our enemies. You get that? The way to begin loving your enemies is to love your enemies. 
See, Christ is giving us here things to do for them that will help generate our love for them. It's really hard to consistently pray for a person and still remain angry at them. And we'll talk about that next week. But this week, we want to look at this first one, which is to do good. And again, remember, we don't do these things simply because Christ told us. Although being obedient to the Lord is a good thing. But we also do them because it helps us to develop genuine love. I have trouble loving the people I hate. So Jesus says, here, Jerry, I'm going to show you how you can develop love for him. And again, it's counterintuitive to my feelings or what I think need to be done. But he says, you need to do good. You need to pray. You need to bless. Do good. The first practical way to develop love and show love is to do good. Is that what it says? Look again, verse 27. Make sure I haven't wandered off the path here. But I say to you, Jesus is saying to us, to those who hear, I pray that each of us will hear from the Holy Spirit today. I know there are some people who don't want to hear this message. (laughs) But Jesus said to those who will hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, does that mean that you do good to a criminal when he tries to rob you or murder you? No. Does that mean that you're to aid those who are out to destroy your family? No. Although God may love his enemies, he doesn't aid them. He doesn't help them. Scripture does not require us to perform acts of kindness to an enemy, which will help that enemy do more harm to us. That's not what the scripture is requiring here. Our mercy to our enemy must not be so far extended as to expose us to the mercy of our enemies. Now let's consider that in a practical way for a moment, okay? Kind of bring it back down to where some of us live. Maybe you have a boss that you really can't stand. He's arrogant, he's demanding. You know, you should do according to the word Show up early. Stay late. Work extra hard for that boss. Send your boss a note of appreciation about the one thing that you can find that you do like about him. (laughs) Is there a neighbor who lets his dog poop all over your yard? Dig in your flowers? Oh, that's irritating, isn't it? Maybe they're loud, they're obnoxious, they're degrading, they're insulting. You just wish they would move into somebody else's neighborhood. How about if you took them a plate of cookies or some banana bread? How about when they start talking to you, you just listen to them? What about if you encourage them and lift them up with your words? That's the kind of stuff we can do practically that Jesus says, do good to your enemies. If you have someone that really irritates you, I want you to think who that person is, and then I want you to ask the Lord how you can do good to them this week. You've seen this picture. We've all kind of chuckled over it, but it really is truth. And that is, when Jesus said, love your enemies, he probably didn't mean to kill them. 
Nope. Not at all. But the question we still need to address is why. Why does Jesus say to do good to those who hate us? It's really kind of a question of motivation. Why would we even think about helping someone who wants to cause us harm? Some Christians do it out of this almost perverted mentality of retaliation. They think, okay, I'll do good to my enemy because it's going to bring greater judgment on them. So there's like this ulterior motive, which is completely contrary to what Christ is teaching here. As we do good, he wants our heart to change, so we're sincere. How could Jesus possibly be teaching us to love our enemies by doing good so that he could judge them more harsh? It doesn't make any sense. It's like, I hate you, so I'm going to do good to you, so worse things will happen to you. No. Again, this is a heart issue. Some people think that way. There's a scripture in Proverbs that is often misinterpreted or maybe misunderstood would be a better way to say it. It's Proverbs chapter 25. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to eat. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Doesn't sound like much fun. <laughs> heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. A lot of people think that has something to do with making your enemies anger and somehow your kind deeds are going to make things worse for them. We don't understand in our culture what it means heaping burning coals on their head. I mean, we think it has to do with the judgment of God. Nothing could be farther than the truth. That's what it means. And in the Middle East, during this era, rooms were heated by a very low grill or a fireplace that was actually in the center of the room. And there was a fire going at all times. That's where the family would cook their meals together. That's where they would gather for warmth. And every night, they would kind of, you know, bank that fire, stoke that fire, and hope that the fire would last until the morning. And if they woke up in the morning and it was chilly and it was cold because the fire had gone out, it was a tradition that they would take a metal or a clay pot and they would take it to a neighbor's house and they would ask, hey, do you have a few coals to spare so I can get my fire going again? And the borrower, which would be the custom of the Middle East, would carry that on their head, the jar, the, the, the platter of burning coals. And what Proverbs 25 is teaching here is when an enemy asks coals to heat his house, don't just give him one or two. <laughs> give him a pile of coals. Bless him abundantly. God always does far above all that we can ask or think. And the writer of this proverb is saying, man, just keep a few to keep your fire going. Give all the rest to your enemy. That way you will have a great reward. Shocking, isn't it? Yet this is the same thing Jesus teaches us right here in Luke 6. Also, Romans 12 is a good place to look this week. Romans 12, verses 20 and 21 particularly, that talks about do good to your enemies. Not to bring more judgment on them, but simply to show your love for them. Now, the opposite to this extreme is the suggestion that if we help those 
who hate us, we can turn them into our friends, which sometimes happens. <laughs> President Abraham Lincoln was at a reception during the Civil War, and he made a passing comment about Southerners, and he said they were erring human beings. Well, that was a much softer and more gracious term than many of his audience would have preferred. <laughs> and one woman in the audience quickly chastised him. In her mind, enemies were to be destroyed, and the sooner the better. And Lincoln looked at that lady and said, Why, madam, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? <laughs> A good way to destroy your enemy is to make them your friend. Why do we love our enemies? Because we want to follow God's word. We want to be like Jesus. But we also love our enemies because it's only by showing our love to our enemies, by doing good to those who hate us, that we display the love of God to them. Where the world will begin seeing the church not as some kind of angry political movement, but as the kingdom of God bringing help, bringing hope, bringing healing, bringing salvation. Maybe if we show them the love of God, they'll experience what many of us have experienced. Forgiveness. They may come to us, they may turn to the Bible because of our act of love. They may learn of God's infinite love for them. They might be converted. We show love to our enemies because that's what God did for us when we were enemies. How they were brought or how we were brought into his family and how they will be brought into his family. One last picture I want to show you. And this simply says, you cannot comprehend the deepest love God has for you until you realize he has the same love for the person or the people that you most despise. Just look at that for a moment and meditate on that. I'm convinced one of the reasons so much evangelism fails today is because people can't see the love and grace in our life and our action toward them and in some ways even toward one another. Not saying that judgmentally or, or to condemn. I'm just convinced that the church as a whole would be much more effective in completing the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations if we were more effective in carrying out the great commandment, which is to love God and to love one another. Let me say that again. We will never be more successful in carrying out the great commission until we truly implement the great commandment. I want to see people come to Jesus. And I think we'll see more people come to Jesus if we'll learn to love God and to love them, even if they're our enemies. We can't evangelize the lost until we love the saints. <laughs> and we can't love our enemies until we love other Christians. But it all begins with love, 
Loving God, loving one another, loving our enemies. I want to conclude today by telling you uh, what the pastor of the largest church in the world requires of his congregation. Many of you know David Cho, uh, pastor of the largest church in the world. It's in Seoul, Korea. He has an interesting rule that he's had for like 30 years. He says, you are not allowed to witness to anyone until you perform three good deeds for them. He tells his members, you are forbidden to mention the name of Jesus unless you have helped that person at least three times. Fix an appliance. Bring them a meal when they're sick. Help them construct their house. I read that Pastor Cho believes that only after three such acts of love will their hearts be open to the gospel. I kind of like that. As Paul writes in Romans 12, don't overcome evil with evil. That's the way the world operates. Overcome evil with good. If you have an enemy, love them. How do you develop that love? Well, you do good for them. And as you do good for them, this amazing miracle of divine love blossoms in your heart. You'll reveal what the love of God has done for you and what it can do for them. That's what Christ has done for us. That's what he wants to do for others. And I pray that God will give us strength, will give us grace, will give us love, will give us the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to love those that we would rather hate. Next week we're going to look at the other two commandments of blessing and praying. But right now I want to pray for all of us. Kind of feel like all of us, whether you're watching online, at home, whether you're here in person, you probably fit into one of three categories today. You might be in a category that you just, your heart is so hard, you are so upset, you are so full of anger and rage. There's no way that you can even begin to comprehend of loving your enemies. And I understand that. That's the society we live in. But I want to pray today for you that God will change your heart, that God will soften your heart. And then there's a second category of people, and that is those of us, and I'll put myself in this category, those of us that really want to love our enemies, but we struggle. We wrestle with it. We know it's the right thing to do, but it's, it's hard for us. I want to pray for all of us that God will equip and empower us this week. And then there's a third group of people, very few, but there are some, man, who've got this down. And you love unconditionally no matter what. And I commend you for that modern-day saints, and there are some. There are some that I look up to. And I want to pray that God will strengthen you to continue to be the example to the rest of us that what Jesus has asked us to do is possible if we'll keep our eyes on him. Will you bow in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity that I've had to share your word. It's a hard word, but Lord, it's your word. And Lord, you want us to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. 
You want us to love each other and our neighbors as ourselves. And it's only through that kind of love that we can actually fulfill the great commandment of going and reaching everyone with the good news of Christ and making disciples, baptizing them, helping them, oh God, to develop a relationship with you. Lord, today at the conclusion of this message, I do pray for that group of people who find this message today almost offensive, who, Lord, really believe that there's no way that they can love those whom they've developed such anger against. God, I pray you'll soften their heart, do a miracle. May they be open to the miraculous transformation of the Holy Spirit. Make them more like you, Jesus. Help them, God, to let down their guard. Help them to allow you to create in them a true love. And Lord, I pray for the group of people that I'm in who do our best to love those who hurt us and those who we might not like. Yeah, we struggle and sometimes we do good and sometimes we don't do good. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't. We react in anger and rage instead of responding with love and compassion. I pray you'll help us. That this week, we'll do, we'll do better. Help us, Lord, to think of David Cho and his challenge. Before we share Christ with people, may we find three ways of showing them Christ's love. And then, Lord, finally, I want to thank you for those handful of people I know in my life who somehow have unconditional love. And Lord, they just don't have a hateful bone in their body. They have grown in their walk with you that they truly imitate you. And I thank you that I have people that I can look up to. Lord, those are people that can say, follow me as I follow the Lord. I pray you'll keep those people strong, that they'll know that they are our example, they're our light. Help them, Lord, to lead the way that we as a church, when at your first assembly, and we as a church of the body of Christ, will become known in the years ahead as an organization who has help and healing and hope and salvation, who's building the kingdom of God in the midst of the world we live in. We thank you, Lord. And we ask these things in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me, friends, as we sing this last song? Thanks for being here. I hope you'll join us again next week as we look at the next two actions that God's asking us to take.